I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to this Monday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. It has been... 69 hours and 24 minutes since you and I were here hanging out on this program. And what has happened since then? Well, everything, everything has happened. There have been some massive stories and then some things that have happened that in a normal day would be massive stories in themselves. Have you checked? Have you checked your 401k? Have you looked at the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ? Uh, Setting records. Setting records. And not just short-term records. There, in some instances, uh, are we hitting levels that we weren't even talking about uh, before even the coronavirus showed up, yeah, we in some areas are at pre-COVID levels in terms of our uh, in terms of the indexes right now. Have a look, have a look at the Dow right now, sitting at twenty nine thousand five hundred and seventy nine. S and P three thousand six hundred and four, up almost three percent on the day. Going back to the Dow, up almost four and a half percent on the day. That ain't too bad. That ain't too bad. You might ask yourself, well, what's going on? Well, that brings us to another. One of the massive stories of today, and that is the announcement from Pfizer here earlier this morning. The CEO uh, put out a statement saying that, wow, Pfizer right now has announced a vaccine candidate which has been found to be more than 90% effective in preventing COVID-19 in participants. Think back a little while. Think back when you and I were first, <laughs> first getting our education and becoming armchair epidemiologists. Yeah, somewhere between 50, 60, 70% effectiveness would have been great. Yeah, 51 is where the FDA starts looking at something and saying, hey, that's safe and effective. Go ahead, have yourself an approval. Get yourself to market. 60% would have been awesome. 70%, 70% would have been so, so great. And this morning, we're hearing of a vaccine which is showing promise in the 90, 90% effective range. That's absolutely fascinating. That's miraculous. Miraculous. The CEO of Pfizer had some things to say on that here this morning. We are already started uh, manufacturing some time back. And as I said, we believe uh, we should be able to have up to 50 million this year, 1.3 billion next year. Uh, this will be coming gradually in the beginning, a little bit less than uh, the first quarter more, the second quarter more. And then we have a significant ramp up in the second half of uh, the year to deliver the 1.3 billion. Now, you can imagine that something like this is going to be in high demand, right? Every corner of the globe will have someone saying, hey, vaccine me, okay? Vaccine's a verb now, right? Well, I just made it so. Anyway, the CEO of Pfizer, he continues talking about here how they intend to keep up with this demand. Given how effective this vaccine is, and we are aware that the demand will be much higher than anything we can produce, we are also looking right now to see if uh, there are other ways thinking out of the box that we increase even further 
the manufacturing capacity. That again, Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla. I think I pronounced that last name right. I heard him interviewed somewhere else here this morning, and he was asked about his competitors. He asked, he was asked about the other companies which are looking at their own candidate vaccines, uh, doing so with similar technologies. And Mr. Bourla here, again, the CEO of Pfizer, uh, he said, "Stop, hold on a second. You, you have to understand, our only competitor right now is." The coronavirus. Well, let me tell you, when, when it comes to pandemic, uh, the only competitor is the virus and time. And right now, the first of, of, of all of us was able to beat, and I hope that others will also be able to beat this virus as effectively as we do because we need hopes. There's another element of the news cycle here today which has all of our attention. That, of course, is the announcement by Governor Gary Herbert, a state of emergency, a new state of emergency declared, which means that we will now be under some new guidelines. Starting in about 20 minutes from right now, it's statewide mask mandate for the state of Utah. That's a first. That is a first. That's a fundamental shift in our approach to this pandemic. Also, uh, social gatherings, those are going to be limited to those within our household. We're going to get into the details on that, but I bring that up because uh, during a press conference this morning on that point, which we'll talk about in just a second, Dr. Angela Dunn, state epidemiologist here in the state of Utah, made mention of the vaccine distribution. The vaccine that we just heard from Pfizer uh, may be be showing 90% effectiveness. We as a Department of Health uh, submitted our plan for vaccine distribution to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention a few weeks ago, um, and that was based on, it's really hard to come up with a plan when you don't know how much, how many doses you're going to get and what, what the efficacy of the vaccine really is. But what's really exciting, and Governor Herbert mentioned, is the um, increasing evidence that the Pfizer vaccine will be quite effective. Um, so plans are in place, especially because this vaccine needs to be stored at very, very cold temperatures to get those freezers to as many healthcare systems and hospitals as we can so that we can actually take the vaccine and store it appropriately um, and then distribute it. So it's it's a plan that we've been working on um, for several months now, and it will continue to evolve as we get more information about the vaccine. Later on in the program today, we're going to be speaking with two individuals at the center of Utah's fight against the coronavirus. We'll be speaking with current lieutenant governor and governor-elect Spencer Cox. We'll talk to him about this vaccine, about Utah's plans, and if this 90% revelation, I, I am absolutely fixated on the 90% effectiveness. That is the hopes. Those are the projections. That is what Pfizer says they have been able to create. That is a game changer to me. We're going to find out exactly to what degree the game is changed by this announcement from Spencer Cox. And we'll also be speaking with President and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association, Greg Bell. We have had Mr. Bell on the program a number of times in the past. He has maybe the best view of exactly, exactly what Utah hospitals are facing in terms of the physical capacity to uh, welcome patients into their doors, into the intensive care units, uh, and also, and more specifically to today's issue, the the taxing that uh, has been taking place on the caregivers, the doctors, the nurses, the technicians, all of those individuals who must report to work each day and aid in the recovery of those afflicted with the coronavirus. You only have a finite number of those individuals. Their expertise is finite. The ability for them to work extra shifts and overtime and stretch their days longer and longer, that's a finite resource, and we are getting towards the limits of that. And because of that, 
because of that, we find ourselves now in the midst of a, another state of emergency. Governor Gary Herbert, speaking to the people of Utah just last night, uh, talked about this emergent threat. Our hospitals are full. This threatens patients who rely on hospital care, from everything from COVID-19 to emergencies like heart attacks, strokes, surgeries, and trauma. We must work together to keep infections low until a vaccine is available. Therefore, tonight, I'm declaring a new state of emergency to address hospital overcrowding and to protect intensive care unit capacity. Now here, I'm about to play for you when it was learned by us here last night that a fundamental shift was taking place here in the state of Utah. From the dawn of the coronavirus pandemic and from the first day that it made its way into Utah's population, uh, we have heard Governor Gary Herbert resisting a mask mandate. He has talked about the personal responsibility that you and I as Utahns enjoy. He communicated over and over and over the faith he had in Utahns uh, to do what was right and to wear a mask. Well, uh, this new development doesn't necessarily say that we were wrong before, but it certainly changes our approach to battling this virus. Because scientists and medical experts overwhelmingly recommend masks as an effective way to limit the spread of COVID-19, I am placing the entire state of Utah under a mask mandate until further notice. There you go. Now, here's a question. We are just a few months away from a new governor. Assuming his position in the governor's mansion, will Spencer Cox, if the numbers stay similar to the way they are today, could could the mask mandate extend into a Cox administration? Well, we'll have a chance to ask that question of Mr. Cox, Lieutenant Governor, Governor-elect Cox. He'll come up later in the program. Uh, and then we're going to also, as I mentioned, talk to Greg Bell, President and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association. Quick break right now. When we come back, uh, there is one more little bit of news that broke over the weekend having to do with the presidential election. We'll see exactly where things stand next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back. There was a little bit of news broken over the weekend. And to understand the news which came, specifically out of Pennsylvania, it's important that you and I have a shared understanding of of an important word. And it is this, projected, projection, project. All right? You, over the weekend, certainly, as you flip back and forth uh, through the channels, listened to us here on the radio, saw as you scrolled through social media that there were news outlets, that there are news outlets across the country uh, projecting projecting that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. We can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. The Fox News decision desk can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden will win Pennsylvania and Nevada, putting him over the 270 electoral votes he needs to become the 46th president of the United States. CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States. CBS News is now projecting former Vice President Joe Biden will be the 46th president of these United States. Yeah, yeah, we, we got to hold up here a second. The word project, that's a prediction. And, you know, there may be good reason to make those projections right now. There may be plenty of numbers coming from the various states, uh, and all those numbers may add up to 270-plus for uh, Mr. Joe Biden, former vice president. But the important thing to remember here is that news outlets don't determine elections. First off, you do. 
you do. And later on down the road, when the various clerks and uh, attorneys, or rather uh, secretaries of state or lieutenant governors around this country, uh, they they are empowered to ultimately uh, certify and report those results. And it is only then and after the Electoral College has cast those votes do we have uh, a next president of the United States. There uh, are many question marks that still remain. And the, the, the odds may be slim. There still is uh, a justice system. And there still uh, are there still are out there unanswered questions. And so until and unless results are certified, they are still nothing more than projections. Anyway, uh, I just want to get that point out there and respond to, to that little bit of breaking news. A little bit of breaking news could very well steer the trajectory of this country for many years to come. <laughs> anyway, over the weekend, Senator Mitt Romney, well, first off, he had a busy Sunday morning. Just 24 hours after many news outlets around the country had announced, again, those projections that Joseph R. Biden Jr. had secured a sufficient number of votes to become the next president of the United States, Senator Romney made appearances on three of the Sunday morning television programs. He started the morning on CNN with Jake Tapper's State of the Union. Then it was Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. And finally, Romney spent some time with Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday. The conversations were all very similar, but I think the most concise uh, was the the conversation which took place uh, with Chris Wallace, the third of his three appearances. Now, you might have you might have caught by the language I used a moment ago that the reports of victory by Joe Biden are merely the projections of some news outlets. It's an important point to remember that news outlets do not decide elections. And I've reiterated numerous times that we have an electoral system to handle voting, and it has a long track record of success. In fact, we've had success with this system for 240 years. In addition to that, we have a justice system in place to ensure fairness and legality. That system, too, has a lengthy track record of success. And most importantly... Those two systems have a long record of working together in harmony. Legal challenges to elections arise all the time, every election cycle, even here locally in Utah. Now, with that said, Fox's Chris Wallace, while interviewing Senator Romney, asked about the ongoing legal challenges being thrown uh, at the presidential election by Trump and his campaign team. Well, I think it is appropriate for the president to uh, uh, make sure that the uh, vote count has been done properly, uh, to carry out recounts where it's a very close uh, contest, uh, if there are any irregularities alleged, uh, to pursue those and to, and to follow every legal option he has. That's, uh, that's what you'd expect of a president in a setting like this. Now, that was only half of the senator's response. And there is incredible nuance to this issue. And we've discussed it at length on this program. We spent much time on this subject Friday, that fairness and legality must always be upheld, defended, and promoted. But what happens when the rhetoric goes beyond that? Well, Senator Romney continued his response to President Trump's challenges. Uh, At the same time, I think it's important to choose one's words carefully because the eyes of our children are upon us. Uh, The eyes of the world are upon us. Every nation in the world is watching what the president of the United States says. Uh, And there's a battle going on around the world between authoritarianism and freedom. And it's important for the cause of democracy and freedom that we don't allege fraud and theft and so forth, uh, unless there's very clear evidence of that. And at this stage, that evidence hasn't been produced. I I forgot to invite you to participate in this conversation. 
if you're a texter, 57500, that's our Utah Community Credit Union text line. If you happen to see uh, Senator Romney yesterday morning as he made the rounds and you have some reactions to the, the thoughts that he shared, again, 57500, I'd love to hear from you. Now, we are a nation of laws. Romney talks about that and expands on that here during his continued conversation again yesterday with Chris Wallace from Fox News. I do believe that it's important for the American people to understand that we are a nation of laws, that we allow for recounts, that we investigate irregularities, and that these things go to the courts and the courts make a fair and impartial decision. That's essential for for our nation to have confidence in our institutions and for people, as I've indicated, around the world to recognize that democracy works. Uh, Saying something other than that would only be cheer for the Chinese and the Russians and those that want to bring down freedom and bring down democracy. So pursue every legal avenue, and that's what the president will do. Now, how about Senator Romney himself? As you remember, you might remember, (laughs) Utahns surely remember, he was once the Republican nominee for president, and he was defeated in that effort. Wallace and Romney moved on to the topic of Republican reactions to the state of the presidential election right now. Wallace pointed out that many members of the GOP have remained silent since projections of a Biden victory commenced and the Trump campaign has ramped up its claims of fraud and calls for legal action. Wallace does point out that Pennsylvania Republican Senator Pat Toomey did speak out against President Trump's actions. But with not many more, Romney here explains why he himself is speaking out. And I believe I have a little bit of a different role, having been the nominee of our party in 2012. uh, I I do feel a responsibility to uh, express my views and to represent the small slice of the Republican Party, perhaps, that uh, that still supports me in that regard. Uh, and, uh, And everybody makes that assessment. Pat Toomey, of course, is the Republican senator from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is at the center of, uh, of controversy. So uh, his remarks, I think, were uh, were, were well suited uh, to the moment. Uh, so everybody makes that assessment. And I don't uh, I don't have a, a point of view on what other senators do. I think we each have to make our own decision based upon where we are. Wallace then asked if Romney would concede today if in Trump's shoes, but uh, the Romney responded by saying, hey, listen, a uh, different situation. I was reading the numbers that were presented to me. Uh, President Trump now is being presented with different numbers, and everyone's entitled to respond the way they will. What do you think about all this? As you heard the news break on Saturday, as you digested this weekend's news, everything we have learned over the past 70 hours may fundamentally change the future. What do you think the future looks like? Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Let's talk about it. 801-575-8255. 801-575-8255. That's 801-KSL-TALK. I want to know what you feel about the future of this country, especially after the past 70 hours. You and I have learned that uh, there may be a new president elected. Here in the state of Utah, we have a mask mandate and a vaccine is on the horizon. Your call's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Thank you so much for joining us here just after 1 o'clock into the second hour of today's program. So much still to come. We'll later be speaking with Spencer Cox, current lieutenant governor and governor-elect. We'll be discussing the announcement from the governor, the declaration of a new state of emergency, plus what it means for Utah to see 
a vaccine on the horizon. Pfizer's big announcement of a 90% effective candidate vaccine right now is being well received by the financial markets, surely, uh, and also by those who could stand uh, a little bit of protection against this gosh darn pandemic. Can't wait for that to be behind us. And this vaccine is going to take us in a big, big, giant leap uh, towards defeating our foe. I've asked for your phone calls. That uh, vaccine news and the news out of the governor's mansion is not the only thing to have impacted the news cycle over the past, uh, what, 70 hours or so? No, we on Saturday learned that uh, at least many, most, in fact, of the major news outlets have uh, projected that Joe Biden uh, will likely become the next president of the United States. Now, there are still some uh, counting to be done, and as you you may well be aware, President Trump has Uh, along with his team, filed a number of lawsuits around the country. And that's all got to get sorted, but it will. And I have confidence that it will. Uh, And then we will then, at that point, uh, be able to see who the clear winner and the clear next president of the United States will be. Uh, I I put out the question, what do you think the future looks like? Everything we've learned over the past 70 hours may fundamentally change the future. Uh, What will that look like? Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Let me know what you think, what you're looking forward to. It's 801-KSL-TALK. 801-KSL-TALK. That's 575-8255. To start the conversation, Rick from Centerville joins us. Rick, how are you? Doing great, Lee. Love your show. I used to listen to your father all the time. Th- thank you so much for, for both of those things. I'm honored that you would listen to, to this program, and I'm sure he'd be uh, thrilled to, to hear there are folks that remember his time on these airwaves uh, not many years ago. Rick, wh- what do you think about the future? How's it going to look? Here's my thoughts. January 5th is a really big day in this country, and the reason why there's two senators who are forced into a runoff election in Georgia on January the 5th. If they both lose and the Democrats take over the Senate, that means the Democrats will ha- will uh, be in power in the House, the Senate, and the White House. It'll all be controlled by one party. And unfortunately, that party wants to implement some major fundamental parts of our democracy that just uh, could change things forever. For example, the Supreme Court having 12 justices instead of nine, allowing them to uh, fill the court up with people that they think are going to fulfill their agenda. They want to take away the filibuster, which is the only way that a minority party can have any kind of uh, uh, say in what happens in this country. They want to do the Green New Deal, which takes away all petroleum, You know, they act like uh, gas is the only thing that you make from petroleum. Little do they know and realize all the plastic products that go away also. And and worse of all is the deficit spending. Um, They're they're adhering to something back there called the new monetary plan, which basically says spend all the money that you want. Because if we print the money and we control the money, then you can just spend and go into a deficit as deep as you want. And I was talking with Chris Stewart about it. And he said, I don't care what kind of graphs and charts you show me. There's just no way that that plan is going to work. And yet it's really getting a lot of traction with that party back there. Yeah. Rick, thank you so much for the, the call. It'll be interesting. There, there are two things to consider based on Rick's uh, comments there. Number one, when January 5th does roll around and those two runoff elections do take place in the state of Georgia, the highest likelihood is that the, the Republicans will retain control of those two seats. But if they don't, if both are lost, uh, and as Rick has surmised, the possibility of uh, Democrats taking over the Senate, retaining control of the House, and should uh, Joe Biden, in fact, be uh, inaugurated as the next president, you, you're right. They control everything. 
But then the question becomes, what what will Democrat priorities be? What will they then be? If I think the results of this election have thus far taught us anything, it's that uh, Americans have an appetite uh, for the middle, right? They have a more centrist appetite than, uh, you know, would be the position held by, say, uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and those uh, who share her ideals. Joe Biden is more in the middle, and he's a dealmaker. Regardless of the outcome, should Joe Biden become the next president of the United States, his relationship with Mitch McConnell will be one to watch. That's if Georgia stays Republican in the Senate, if Joe Biden wins the White House, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden, their relationship will be one to watch. That is where I predict that uh, that real change in movement comes. Uh, back to the phones. Brad from Riverdale. Brad, what do you say? I appreciate you taking my call. Uh, just really quick, first of all, you know, I think during uh, Trump's time, you know, I was extremely di- uh, disappointed in Senator Romney. I don't go Brad? No, we lost Brad there. I'm sorry. Uh, the quick summary of his comments there passed to me by producer Amy. Uh, not terribly pleased with Romney, but thinks we need to move forward with class uh, and with fight like we've never seen before. Uh, so very good. Sorry we lost uh, Brad there. Uh, now, in the last few minutes, Jerry from Salt Lake City. Jerry, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing today? Not too bad. I'm grateful to you for listening and calling in. How do you see the future shaping up? You know, I, I was telling your uh, tech that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious. We may have watching some... the market for a few years, and I've just been noticing a, a, some big tech moves in the market. Like, been anticipating this change. So I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of advancements in tech. Um, hopefully we can get this, you know, thing with China under control, you know, with their, uh, you know, stealing our, you know, secrets and all this stuff. But um, I'm, I'm leaning a lot towards clean energy. I wouldn't, I, I'm hoping that Biden but, uh, you know, not stopping the fracking, because I really think that he would do a lot of damage to our country if he would just all out stop yeah. petroleum, period. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think a nice, smooth transition into clean energy and start educating our young in some of these clean energy jobs. And I think we could have a good future uh, uh, with with some good high paying jobs out there. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, listen, thank you so much for the call. You, you make a great point uh, about a, you know, a full stop and abrupt uh, halting of, uh, say, fracking, hydraulic fracturing in uh, you know, the energy extraction uh, industry. It wouldn't, it wouldn't simply be something that impacts the, the whole nation. But right here in Utah, we had Rob Bishop on the air uh, last week, I believe it was, talking about uh, the future of his congressional district, Utah's first congressional district. He, the outgoing member of Congress, incoming, of course, Blake Moore. And so much of the Uinta Basin uh, derives its economy and economic power and the livelihood of those who live there uh, from exactly this type of work. The technology uh, is there in place to make it as safe as possible. And should should hydraulic fracturing, uh, fracking, you know, be be uh, eliminated, what happens to the Uinta Basin? Well, 
hopefully someone's ready to uh, to go to fight, go to battle, uh, and, and protect uh, the industry that provides such a livelihood for so many Utahns. Uh, tomorrow, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to get to your call. I'm going to take a break right now. Uh, when we return, we're going to dip in and listen in on what some of the leaders of the Utah Hospital Association are saying. It has been the strain on the hospitals across this great state, which has led Utah Governor Gary Herbert to declare a state of emergency and implement a statewide mask mandate. Hospitals are strained. How bad is it? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.